Alright, hello everybody. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey. As always, thank you for joining. Um, we got stuff to talk about tonight, don't we? <laughs> so, what's on the agenda? Yeah, last night, UFC, uh, UFC Noche. UFC on ESPN plus 85, whatever you want to call it. Um, that was a card. You know, not not a terrible, not a terrible card. Um, but man, we gotta talk about that main event, don't? Ah, I hate that. Ugh, I hate that I have to talk about scoring again. I do. I I hate it. I'd rather talk about the fight, but we will have to do the scoring thing first because, uh, judging is judging. All right. Uh, let's see. As for usual stuff y'all know the drill like comment subscribe star rating written review sharing in uh your personal circle your social media circles whatever you can do to help the podcast in that respect is always deeply appreciated thank you as always i appreciate you guys uh no big preamble this week no you don't need me to monologue about my life woes and highs and lows um mostly because there aren't any this week it's been stable I won't say good, bad, or otherwise, but no major changes, I think. So, yeah, I think we can just get into it. All right, let, uh, hopefully we're less than last week. Last week was long. <laughs> we had stuff to talk about, though, so I don't object to it. All right, let's talk about it. UFC Noche. Main event, Alexa Grasso and Valentina Shevchenko fight to a split draw. <sighs> And I would, I'm going to do the scoring thing first. I have to. I would rather talk about the fight. Because this was a good fight. There was, I'll spoil this for my end thing usually. There was no fight of the night awarded. Profoundly unfortunate, this was a, this is one of the better fights you'll find. Great fight. It's probably, I don't know where it'll end on my year-end award list, but it's going to my, it's going to my possibles for best fight of the year. This is a good fight. And, I don't know. No fight of the night. Because it ended in a draw, I guess? I don't know. That. Uh, instead, I'll, you know, let me do the bonus thing real fast. Uh, they did that thing where they just bonus everyone who got a finish. Right? So, yeah. One, two, three, four, five. One... To almost. Oh no, sorry, that was not a. I think one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, they just bonused everyone who got to finish. Your semi-regular reminder that that's a thing they could do every week. They choose not to, but they could absolutely afford it. Uh, more so now. More on that later. But, so back to the scoring of this. Scores were 48-47 for Grasso, 48-47 for Shevchenko, both of which are fine, and 47-47. From, uh, so, look, personally, 48-47 Shevchenko. However, big dot, dot, dot here. This all hinges on one round, Okay. <laughs> First round, clearly Shevchenko. Second round, 
clearly Grasso. Third round, clearly Shevchenko. There's actually a 10-8 argument for Shevchenko in here, much more so than Grasso. We'll get to that in a second. Fourth round, uber close. Uh, so we're, you could be 2-2 going into the fifth. Fifth round, Grasso's round. She lost most of it, but had a very dramatic kind of end to the round, including back control. You know, believe it or not, I actually think you could. there's a more coherent argument for Shevchenko winning the fifth than what one of our judges did in giving it to Grasso 10-8. Um, but I'm here, look, again, cards on the table, doing it live, 3-2 Shevchenko. I don't, 3-2 Grasso's fine. If you give Grosso two, four, and five, that's fine. That's perfectly fine. That fourth round was super, super close. Super close. So I'm not up here to scream and holler about three, two for either woman. I'm not. Um, I've there's plenty of people who have been three, two either way. Plenty of people who I, whose opinions I respect going for Shev, for Grasso. Plenty going for Shevchenko. Like, this is... That should be the discussion coming out of this fight, is how did you score the fourth round, and what a great fight we had. I wish that was the discussion we had coming out of this fight. Because that's the interesting discussion, to me. Not my... So... Was it? Uh, I think I think it was Junichiro Kamijo who scored it 3-2 for Grasso. I'm gonna say the semi-sentient can of tomato soup Saldamato, who went 3-2 for Shevchenko, and I I bring him up specifically. Okay, there was a fight earlier in the evening, uh, Lupita Godinez, who beat um, Elise Reed. We'll get get to that fight in particular in a minute or two here, or later down the line. But it ended in the second round. Everybody and their dog gave that first round to Godinez 10-8. There was a, like, I saw some people having the 10-7 argument. Like, that's how speci- that's how far we are on that one. Saldamato, eh, it felt like a 10-9. What are we doing here? I mean, look, so those two, and then we have our judge in error here. We have Mike Bell, who is normally a fairly competent judge. No one's perfect. I don't pretend any judge is perfect. Judging is an imprecise art form. So, Bell does not have... That's So, again, he's got his issues on occasion. But he's not one of these perpetually problematic judges. Kind of like Sal, who, again, a bit more constantly an issue. But for Mike Bellend here, looking at round five and going 10-8 Grosso, had he scored that appropriately, and bear in mind, when I say appropriately, I don't necessarily mean that, uh, I just mean like that's not a 10-8 round. There's no system on earth where round five of this fight is a 10-8. And if there is that system, allow me to just, for the record, 
round three for Shevchenko is clearly then a 10-8. That's not in dispute here. That wouldn't be in dispute, right? Like that, that's just where we are with that. There's no reason, if you think this round was 10-8 for Grasso, you have to have given Shevchenko 10-8 third just for internal consistency. Right? This isn't even me homering for Shevchenko. I'm not a I'm not one of her very weird fan base. Shevchenko has weird fans. My argument is just you are not consistent with your application of the criteria if this is if this is the if these are the scorecards you turned in. Full stop. That's my gripe here. I and look, when people say that's a, this fight is a robbery, it's not that you can't claim Grasso won. You can find three rounds for her easily. I mean, easy. If you 3-2 for Grasso, cool. I'm not here to argue with you. I am not here to try and try and say that there's no case for Grasso winning. There is. There's a very good case for Grasso winning this fight. There is not a case for that scorecard from Mike Bell. That's why it feels like a robbery. It feels like... Oh, I can't do this to Grasso here. It's Mexican Independence Day. There's a big crowd out here. I, I even if she wins this round, she's going to lose the title because, or my, on my scorecard, she's going to lose the belt. Now he obviously he doesn't know what the other judges are scoring, but him to just be here, like, you know, I I can't do that. So throws a 10-8 at it to get a 47-47 scorecard. And I know there's people pissed at Valentina when after, like, she got a brief interview after the fact and was like, you know, in a fair sport, under fair rules, I win. And that's not clear. That's not a clear assessment. That's her assessment of her performance. But when she says, you know, I think you know, maybe the judges felt pressure from Mexican Independence Day and the fans, and, you know, she got booed, and there's a bunch of people being all pissy about it on Twitter. MMA fans are so soft. I'm sorry, you guys. On the off chance any of you are like this, I... I... There was a time in my fandom when I probably fit this category, too. Let me just be very clear about that. I am not holier than thou here. At the moment, I don't do this. As a general rule. like. But the number of people who looked at that and went, oh, she's such a bad loser. Well, one, under what, in what world is anyone obligated to be a good loser? You'd prefer it, but there's no obligation to it. Second, this is an expression of your ignorance, MMA fans. Because this happens all the time. This is common in boxing. This is in soccer, in American football, like basketball, whatever. It's actually not uncommon for this to be a fairly, for this to be an accusation on the part of a party who feels they were wronged. And it's actually not uncommon for that to bear fruit, for there to be truth to that complaint. But because MMA fans don't watch anything other than MMA, in the sporting world at least, as a general rule, like, suddenly we're shocked by this. Like, guys. No. Sorry, I've seen really bad losers. 
I'm not saying Shevchenko is the most gracious loser in the world. She's not the most gracious in defeat individual I've ever seen. But I've seen really sore losers. Having a legitimate gripe about the adjudication of your performance is not being a sore loser. It's, you can argue the optics. But look, if we're talking optics, you know, Grosso getting interviewed by Daniel Cormier going, yes, I won, smiling. I won. You didn't win. Cormier having to go, no, it was a draw. Like She kept the belt. So, of course, she's happy about that. But, like, the... Ugh. I hate that it came to that. I really do. So, I don't know, I don't know what we're going to do about this. Uh, well, let me rephrase. I know exactly what's going to happen as it pertains to this. Nothing. Because nothing ever happens when this kind of crap happens. Nothing. There will be... Mike Bell will be working some major fight next week. No repercussions. None. The Nevada State Athletic Commission will say nothing. Because, of course, they don't. The UFC will... Dana might do the no, I didn't agree, or what? Or that was weak. Dana wasn't there last week. Or last night for this. Somebody's going to ask him about it, probably at a contender series event or whatnot. He's going to kind of like... Shake his head and do the, oh, man, what a mess. And then he's going to move on. Like, that's what he does. And that's what everyone does. Like, the UFC has no power over judges, and that's by design. Problem is, the sources that do have power over judges are atrophied, sclerotic, just bureaucratic nightmares who are more interested in preserving their own sense of self-importance and power and having a nice little thing to add to their resume after being appointed, being basically a political appointee by the governor and then looking to spin that forward into something else. That's what the, that's what these things are on the, if I come across as sounding a little bit bitter at, you know, various forms of government here and some of their functions or lack thereof, when people talk about the unfairly bureaucratic nature of government, or even, look, there's wackos out there who talk about the deep state like it's, you know, some cabal of business people in suits. Look, the deep state, this is what it is, okay? This is what it really is. Again, there's whack jobs out there with different theories. Let me let me tell you functionally what it really is. It's, un- it's unelected appo- political appointee bureaucrats who are not removed when who are not usually removed when there's turnover at the executive level and who sit in positions of power for years and years doing very little other than trying to network then leaving the position for a private sector job using the friends they've made there to uh, great per- financial benefit and then when they're when their buddy or their party gets back in power, they take a new appointed job, and this just cycles. That's fundamentally what the deep state is. It's not always all that nefarious, even. It's just pathetic. It's the 
atrophied, sclerotic, mechanical bureaucracy failing to do its job over and over and over again because individuals are interested in maintaining their own self-importance rather than public service. That's it. That's the deep state. It sucks. I don't care what side of the political aisle you're on. This is usually... The discussions around the deep state is usually more a right side of the aisle discussion, but this is the reality is it sucks for both sides because nothing happens. Like, nothing gets done. And I'm more okay with that at the federal level in terms of, like, I don't mind that taking a bit of time because the federal government wields a tremendous amount of power and that power not being the most nimble thing in the world isn't always the worst idea. You'd think at a state level, though, especially a state like, look, all states should have equal representation in the federal government, hence the Senate. Not all states are created equal in terms of population, in terms of geography, and a million other things. Nevada's not the most complicated state in in the Union. It's not the simplest to govern, but it's not the most complicated. You'd think that Nevada might be in a position to do something about this, but of course not. Of course, nothing will happen. Mike Bell will be back doing his thing in a week, maybe sooner. And the only people screwed in this are the fans who bothered to care or Valentina Shevchenko. Not that she got screwed out of the belt in some kind of, like, I mean, she did. Like, by all rights, Mike Bell robbed her of that title because he turned in one of the worst scorecards you'll ever see. That fifth-round score, 10-8 for Grosso, is utterly indefensible. Mike Bell handed out five 10-8s last night. The other four I actually agree with. One is a bit generous, and I gave it a 10-8 too, and I'll get to it, I promise. But the other, like, three of the five 10-8 rounds he gave, I agreed with. Um, well, three, I think, are... Let me put it this way. I agreed with four of the five. Three of the five are not terribly uh, controversial. Then fourth, again, one of those was a touch generous. It was the first round of... Um, uh, Newt, uh, Knudsen and Mann. That first round being 10-8 again, it's a little generous of a 10-8, but it's defensible. And then this, just like, what, what, what were you watching? Did you just ignore the first three and a half minutes of that round? Is that what happened? You didn't see it? You nodded off? You went to the bathroom, you got distracted by Adelaide Bird, who should have been judging, was not doing it for giant periods of time anyway. Like, what, what are we doing here? This is incomprehensibly bad scoring for that round. Just terrible. And you robbed a fighter. Sorry, you did. That score, because that's the only reason for that score. Right? The only reason for a 10-8 Grosso round in the fifth after you've got Shevchenko up three rounds to one going into it is to stop Shevchenko from winning. Grosso didn't earn a 10-8. In no universe, in no fair universe, in no reasonable universe did she earn a 10-8. No one 
on God's green earth under God's hot sun saw what Mike Bell saw and went 10-8. No one. I don't mind being a lone voice on a hill from time to time. I've been, I've done that before. I've been the I've had unpopular opinions. I will in the future. But I've never been completely alone the way this jabroni is on this take. That's how bad this is. In the wide breadth of the stupidity of MMA fandom and media and the, the stupid sport that we have, to the extent that it is a sport even, only this guy. Only this guy. Uniquely bad. There's not another word for it. I don't know if it's incompetence. I don't know if it's corruption. It, it tends, you're better off attributing stupidity and incompetence than malice is a general rule. I forget which razor that is, but it's one of them. But, God. It's just awful. And nothing, I, I, what rankles me really is that nothing will come of this. I think that's more what gets me, whenever one of these things happens. Like, it's terrible that it happens. It's bad. But the fact that nothing changes to address the problem is worse. I can accept bad outcomes. I can accept weirdness. I can accept the chaos of MMA. Because you can only control for so much. Like You're never going to get full control over it. It's too exponentially large. There's too many variables. What kills me is the lack of attempts at boundary setting. What kills me is that when something bad happens, no one does anything to learn from the bad thing. Nobody tries to do something different going forward. Nobody, or you do, or you try something different, and then everybody else throws a hissy fit and decides to blackball you. That's, again, that's just kind of where we are. And that's really what annoys me. Do I feel, look, I feel bad for Shevchenko. She, dude, if, if she'd lost straight up, even split, like if, if Mike Bella just turned in a three to two for Grasso, I'm not, I don't agree, but I'm not angry. Three, two Grasso is perfectly fine, but you didn't score it three, two Grasso. You scored it. 3-2 Shevchenko, and then threw a 10-8 in there, just to... Why? Did you, did you bet the draw? Did you bet the split draw? Is that it? The odds on... Dude, the odds on a draw or a split draw, they're enormous. They are definitely huge. So, maybe he just gambled on that, or someone he knew... I don't know. I mean, that, that's too conspiratorial. I'd need evidence for that claim, and I don't have any. But... Man, even other bad decisions, like, I can at least kind of squint and see where they're coming from. You know, because shockingly, believe it or not, most bad decisions actually have an internal logic to them. It's either a judge's consistently stupid interpretation, or even within the course of, a, of an individual fight. Like, you can just kind of track. Like, okay, you're wrong. You're very wrong. For, again, I'm talking about just straight up bad decisions. And... Grosso winning this fight would not have been a bad decision. This scorecard is. Mike Bell couldn't even bother to be internally consistent 
if he was, Shevchenko would have had a 10-8 third. And <laughs> it, I hate that I'm talking about this. I hate that we're here again. I'm talking about this again. Because nothing's going to change. Because... Because it... Uh, I, I wish I had a good answer. Again, like, the answer is because various governmental institutions in the United... In the, around the world, but in the United States, because that's what we're talking about, they don't move. They do not move. And because they don't move, nothing changes. And that's where we are. So, as for the fight itself, which was actually, I said, a really good fight. Um, Grasso came out orthodox for a little bit, so Shevchenko just launched her left body kick. After a couple of those, Grasso went southpaw. Um, these two got after it, man. They exchanged Grasso's, um, Shevchenko's jab gave Grasso problems all night. Grasso had, um, so first round winds up going to Shevchenko, just jabs. Both women land punches, but Shevchenko's kicking game, it's weird. It kind of goes away when she has to fight closed stance instead of open stance. Now, what she did throughout the course of this fight, Shevchenko, with one exception that, again, kind of cost herself a little bit, she tightened up some of the habits that Grasso was very keyed into for their first fight. She didn't... um, She didn't do any spinning attacks. I don't think she threw a single spinning attack all fight. Uh, Her wrestling was a bit more reactive. She was a bit better about... uh, A bit more calm on the feet about waiting, countering... Uh, her shot selection was better. She wasn't kind of pawing with the lead hand. She does a lot of, like, pawing and check-hooking with her right hand normally. Tuned that that way down. Just, nope, jab. Straight jabs. She was better about throwing a little bit of combination work in there. Normally, she's a bit weaker at combo. Uh, She doesn't throw a lot of combinations. Um, She was better about them here. All of which led to success. Second round is going a little bit more the same than Grasso coming out of an exchange, drops her with her, her right hand. Nice punch from Grasso. Um, Shevchenko recovers. Uh, she, she gives up her back briefly. She recovers, gets on top, um, re- loses the round. Third round, Shevchenko goes back to work in a big way. Lots of jabs. She was looking for elbows at various points in time and actually landed a few of them. Um, she got, she had some good takedowns here. Uh, she didn't go for the headlock until the fifth round, and it cost her, but we'll get to that. Um, she gets a nice takedown in this round, um, gets into side control, Grasso gets up, Shevchenko jumps on a guillotine, rolls to mount with it, uh, winds up dropping some elbows, cuts up Grasso, Grasso escapes the mount because she's gotten very good at that. Um, clearer, pretty clear round for Shevchenko. Uh, fourth, super close. A, like the, a little bit like the first round, but with Grosso landing a bit more regularly and uh, Shevchenko not quite having the opportunity to use her kicks as much. So, super close. Super close round. Round five, Shevchenko wins the first, like, three and a half minutes. She's jabbing, she's circling, occasional one-twos. 
then at one point Grosso kind of bulls forward. They tie up, and Shevchenko goes for the headlock throw. And doesn't have a good grip. Slips off. Grosso gets her back. Spends the last, I think, 90 seconds or so, give or take that, on her back. Can't really find a choke. Doesn't find a whole lot of damage in ground and pound, but I value back control pretty highly. Enough, again, I thought Grosso won the fifth. You can, however, in the interest of fairness, putting damage as the highest category, you actually could argue for Shevchenko winning the fifth. She actually did the more effective damaging work that round. If you want to be weird about, uh, not weird, but like, if you want to, how do I say this? If you deprioritize back control and you don't think any of uh, Grasso's choke attempts were especially close. And for the record, I don't know how close any of those choke attempts were. You actually could argue in favor of Shevchenko in the fifth. I don't agree with you, but that argument exists. And that's again, that's where we wound up. I think three to two for either woman is fine. Those are is a perfectly good scorecard. You give Grasso two, four, and five. Okay, that's fine. Uh, you can do that. That's perfectly defensible. If you went. Uh, if you if you one three four Shevchenko, cool, that's what I did, and I think it's fine. I think it's acceptable. You got one super close round. That's what we should be discussing, not Mike Bellend doing friggin' ten eight for Grosso. Uh, I I wish I could talk about anything other than that. I don't know what we do going forward. The way that played out, they might do a third fight between them. And I don't know. They might. The other option is maybe to try and entice Valentina to move back to bantamweight. Dude, bantamweight is a mess. Let's talk about bantamweight for just a minute here for the women's side of things. You have no champion, and you don't have anything lined up to replace said champion. Look, one women's featherweight is done. Like they let Amanda Nunes hold that belt because it was a prop, basically. Like that wasn't a division, but okay, here you you took it. You know, you took it from Cyborg, and bless you, you earned it. So, carry it, but when you're done, it's done. Because that's not a division. But we don't... like Women's bantamweight is kind of weak. Like, who's there that's really making noise? I mean, you could... Ma- what, maybe Juliana Pena? I mean, she's making noise, but like... Who's, like, got buzz? Dude, Holly Holmes still ranked near... Like, fairly high in that division. Uh, you got Myra Buena Silva, but that division, like, badly needs an injection of talent, of interest. And throwing Shev, dude, Shevchenko already beat, uh, Pena, she armbarred her the first time they fought. A rematch between those two for the belt? 
it's an idea, and women's bantamweight needs ideas. So, I, I don't know. They might do that. You've got two very... Deser- the problem with trying to do an immediate third fight between these two is you've actually got two deserving contenders. And you might think, well, just pair them together. That I don't know how much good that would do. You've got Manon Fior, and you've got Aaron Blanchfield. Now, I, I said after the fight, after um, Fior beat Rose Namajunas, I think Fior has the more complete pedigree at this point than Blanchfield. Whose upside do I think is better, Blanchfield? I think she's going to get that belt, and I think she's going to hold it for a while, because she's still very young. But, who do I, again, who do I think has a more proved, has a better track record against good opposition at flyweight? I'm not trying to discount Blanchfield's um, win against Andrade, or beating Tyler Santos. It turns out Tyler Santos is pretty good. But, I just think Fior has a better general resume at the moment at 125. So I think you give Blanchfield somebody else. I don't know what, I don't know who exactly, but you give her one more fight and Fior should be involved in the next title fight. I just I also think Blanchfield's kind of inevitable in that weight class, so But with this, I don't know what we do here. I, I really don't. Um, Grasso said she's open to a third fight, but would also like to mo- doesn't really want the division to stagnate. Again, 135 kind of needs help, so I, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do here. But it's an awkward position. Dude, there's video going around, and I saw this in real time because I'm you know, watching this. On the broadcast, because Dana White's not there, so um, Mick Maynard is. Or Sean, Sean Shelby, sorry, not Mick. I'm sure Mick was there, but uh, we actually see Sean Shelby in the background. He does the belt presentations if Dana's not there as a general rule. And he and somebody else are both standing in the, they're standing in the ring, or in the cage. They're waiting for the announcement to be read. And Bruce Buffer gets the cards from the commission official. Bruce looks at them, and he tells... Look, Dana White's been told, like, the fact that the ring announcer first tells the promoter representative what the outcome is, is not, like, it's all on camera, he's not placing last second bets. So he tells, he'll tell him, by the way, here's who you're going to put the belt on. And you can see Buffer, you can't see what he says, but you can see him say something to, and I think it's Sean Shelby, and you can see Shelby go, what the f- <laughs> Like, you can read his lips. It's not hard. He is befuddled by that scoring. And, yeah, so is everybody. So is everybody. Man, I half thought when somebody said 47-47, if you gave Shevchenko 1-3, and three, but gave her a 10-8 third... Like, that still gets you to that same scorecard, and that's more defensible than <laughs> than Grosso 10-8 fifth. Just terrible. That's a terrible score. That is an all-time bad scorecard. So, you know what? Let me just, rather than close on negativity here, 
as a brief aside, you know what? I'm going to stand up here and say women's flyweight. You know what? Good for you as a division. It took a little bit. right? It took a while to kind of really get going, but I'll give Shevchenko credit for this, man. For the last cup, for, you know, what, a year or so more, she's been out here beating the drum saying, no, women's flyweight is actually good. There's good fighters here. We're not a crappy division between 115 and 135. And for a while, she was saying things that were not necessarily true, but kind of trying to puff everybody up. You know, trying to beat the drum for her for her weight class. Like, no, you guys dump on this. It's not bad. There's good fighters here. And look, you know, beating up on Lauren Murphy and Caitlin Chukagian and whatnot. Like, I shouldn't dump on Chukagian too much, but like, there was a period of time when you just kind of go like, I don't. I don't think that's true. Well, you say that long enough, talent comes in and it becomes true. And now we're in a spot where you look, you've got Grosso, you've got Blanchfield, you've got Fior, you've got Tyler Santos who's still really good. Shevchenko herself is still obviously a top-tier fighter. You've got the division, you know, it was a it was spent a while trying to develop but it did. It developed, and here we are. So I'm gonna, just as a brief aside, like you know what, women's flyweight, you are not the. You, I will not make you the butt of every joke now. Women's bantamweight at the moment, I think, is the one that deserves that, or heavyweight because heavyweight, or light heavyweight, because boy is that, ooh, boy is that a mess. But I, I haven't joked about women's flyweight in a while, and I think that's largely because the weight. The division's improved. The talent has gotten better, and bless them for it. So that's where we are after that main event. I don't know. All right, co-main event. Uh, not the best fight. Not as good as I hoped it would be. But Jack Della Maddalena defeats Kevin Holland via split decision, 29-28. Um, two for JDM, one for Holland. Was I 30, 27? I might have got that very wrong. I'm trying to remember what round was like super. I don't know. Um, might have been the third that I just. I'm. I still. I kind of think I got wrong. Was it? I don't know. Look, the only round I feel pretty confident in was round one was uh, JDM's. The other two, I don't know. Close enough that I don't think either way is terrible um couple of things here both guys do a bit of stance switching um holland does a lot of leaning he's done this for a while and i okay he does because he does a like minor variation on the philly shell He's got the rear hand up high and the lead hand a little bit low, and he kind of parries and then leans. Here's the problem with the Philly shell in MMA. This is not why I'm not here to say it doesn't work. It does work. It's a good defensive posture. Depending on what you're trying to do with it, the range, there's variables. Nothing's perfect. The real problem with the Philly shell in MMA, especially as certain guys use it, is they lean. Now, Holland doesn't have a pro- didn't have a problem leaning away from JDM for a pretty specific reason. He's not worried about the takedown. 
Why was Sean Strickland so happy to use it and lean against Israel Adesanya? Because he's not going to get double-legged. You lean like that against someone who can transition, they'll take you down off of it, and it won't be that hard. Maybe that was primarily a consideration from Holland here, because he's not worried about being taken down, but as a general observation out there, that's one of the weaknesses of that posture for MMA. You're doing a lot of shoulder rolling, leaning, and that can leave your hips exposed. Um, it didn't catch him here. What what did work for JDM here, um, Holland does a lot of sidekicking. And JDM was good about parrying that and getting to the back. So again, sidekick comes in. We angle to the close side towards the back. Parry. Suddenly, you know, he's got a pretty decent platform to get close. Pardon me. And just swing some lefts to the body and head. Usually that's like his, you, most of this fight was um, orthodox for Holland. And he just, he constantly got behind him and was able to hit him. Good body work from JDM as usual. Uh, I give Holland a lot of credit for a few things here, though. He's tough. Pretty good about defense. Um, not as good as... Uh, J- his problem, I think, offensively came from an inability to adjust to um, JDM's uh, defense of him. JDM was good about blocking, catching his shots. He still landed. Like, it's a fight. He got hit. So Holland with some pretty good front kicks, side kicks. He had a good read on JDM's... um, Rhythm's the wrong word. He had a great feel for when JDM was going to be done and exit. So get close, bang the body, throw a couple to the head, and then Holland has moved his feet enough to get to a point where, okay, I'm going to circle. It's known, so JDM disengages, and that's when Holland would attack. It was a really nice read on kind of the flow of the fight and that particular bit of rhythm that um, JDM likes to keep. Ultimately, Holland fell down a bit because he got backed into the fence a little bit too easily. His defense was fine, but he wasn't willing... He didn't do a whole lot of punching with JDM. It was a lot of, okay, that's your four punches, now I'm going to go. Instead of, okay, you're three punches into a four punch, I'm going to start my three or four punch before your fourth punch gets going. And that made just kind of the optics a little bit worse for him. Um, his kicking game is usually a bigger part of his offense. It didn't have as much of an impact on JDM as it has on other people. JDM seemed to have no problem eating the couple of punches that Holland did land. So, the third round in particular felt a little bit like sparring. So this wasn't as great as I think a lot of us hoped it would be. But, you know, the crowd was booing this one, and I eh, wasn't. I was not a, in agreement with that. This was a fine fight. Best fight of the... No, look, not the best fight of the night. Not super memorable, but it didn't... I don't think these, these two deserve to be booed. Um, partially, they got a little bit of a rocky reception after, like, the previous two fights, which were a little bit... The, the next one in particular that we're going to talk about. A little bit of just wildness, and this was not wild. 
Uh, JDM wants to fight anyone ranked above him. I think he's just about done with his contender series contract. There's usually six fights. Uh, I joke, I don't know what his con but, you know, wouldn't shock me if they just like, okay, so you're one of the best welterweights in the world. We're still getting you for 12 and 12 for, you know, two more fights. So, yeah, there's that. Um, I saw a few different names thrown out. I think the one I'd be most interested in personally is, um, oh, his name just left me. Uh, Luque, Vicente Luque, who is ranked, what's Luque ranked? He's around number 10. Uh, rankings have not been updated yet. Yeah, he is number 10. So, you got Jeff Neal at 8, Sean Brady at 9. If you'll recall, um, was supposed to fight Sean Brady, um, JDM. Then you got Luke at 10 and Ian Machado Gary at 11. Honestly, any of those four. Uh, Jeff Neal, Brady, Luke, Gary. I would be... Any of those, again, any of those. Uh, Gary and JDM might be a bit of a... I think they'll try to avoid that if possible, because you don't need two guys on the come up killing each other. Uh, when you, Especially when you've got some older hands there. You know, Neil's been around. Luca's been around. You've got Brady, who still is at a bit of a crossroads. you got Stephen Thompson sitting at seven. There's uh, another possibility, just by the by. Um, you you don't need the two up-and-coming guys, again, to kill each other off here. You've got other names, then you can let them rise concurrently. Um, man, Shavkat still needs a fight. That poor guy, He was, again, he was supposed to fight uh, on this card, actually. He was supposed to fight Kelvin Gastelum, and then, you know, Gastelum had his nose broken, and the bone showed, and... You know, that whole nine yards. But. Sorry, I, just, I just saw Shavkat Rachmanov's name there and went, yeah, he kind of he kind of needs one. Dude, why is Kamzat Shemaev still ranked? He's fighting at middleweight next. Why are we doing this? Get him out of there. Stupid rankings. But, again, not the best fight in the world. Bit of a letdown relative to expectations, but not a bad fight. You know, Kevin Holland, um, I would occasionally have this uh, argument with Jeff when he was on the, when he was still contributing to the show here. Um, Holland seems to be taking the Donald Cerrone approach. And I've argued that, like, as well, like, Cerrone's schedule it paid him as well as the UFC pays. But I don't think he maximized his athletic potential. He only got to fight for the belt once, if you'll recall. And in that one fight, he got obliterated by Rafael Dos Anjos. Dude, RDA ran him over in a round. Like in the first round, just steamrolled him. And there is something of a question about, you know, could Cerrone have retained a title, 
the title position, right? Like being around that, maybe fought for the belt again, with a more considered schedule and opponent selection and whatnot. I think he could have. I absolutely think he could have. I... But he chose to fight his... to manage his career the way he did. And Holland, again, dude fought five times in 2020. Kevin Holland has only been in the UFC. Here's your crazy stat, right? I'll give you a crazy stat here. Kevin Holland debuted for the UFC in 2018. In August. So we're a little over five years into his uh, UFC career. In those five years, Mr. Holland has... Let's have a look here. Five... Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. The man has had twenty fights in five years. That's a lot. I mean, what was his least active year? Hang on. So he comes in and loses Tiago Santos. He fights. In the year of 2018, he fought five times, two of those in the UFC. He fought three times in 19. He fought five times in 2020. He fought three times in 2021, four times in 2022, and he's fought three times thus far in 2023. I don't... That's just an inadvisable schedule to keep in MMA. Any combat sport, really. But I don't manage his career. I don't know what he wants out of it. If all he wants is... You can argue what's the best avenue to make the most money, actually. Whether becoming champion is more lucrative than fighting... In four times a year on average. And just like mitigating where you go. Your tax situation in that respect. I don't know. But this is kind of the path he's taking at the moment. And it's it's what he wants out of his career. To the extent that it continues. Uh, Alright, next up. Raul Rosas Jr. TKO'd uh, Terrence Mitchell in 54 seconds. This was a gimme fight for the guy that they like. Um, appreciate Rosas going to use ground, starting to use ground and pound a little bit, but like I, I can't analyze anything he does. I mean, this was 54 seconds and it was wild and sloppy. I've seen this fight before. Watch regional level MMA, and you'll see this fight a lot. Pretty darn common, actually. So I don't have anything to say beyond that. Lightweight uh, Daniel Zellhuber defeated Christos Yagos via Anaconda Choke, 326 of the second. I gave Yagos the first, actually. He landed the better punches. He had a good blitz attack going. Once Zellhuber got kind of a read on that, he started landing better punches, uh, tuned his kicks a little bit better instead of just throwing them out there, starting having purpose behind them. Hurts Yagos a little bit. Yagos panic shoots. Lightning fast anaconda choke from Zell Huber. Drops, rolls, gets the tap. Nice work from Zell Huber. That uh, was 
was a nice anaconda. He's still young enough that you can see the rough edges that still need to be polished out, but he's got ability. He's definitely got some ability. And kicking off the main card, Kyle Nelson, I believe our only underdog on the entire card that cashed was Kyle Nelson. Well, and the draw. Again, if you bet the draw, you got your big payout there in the main event. But I think everything else was the favorite. Um... So I'll tell you a little bit about the matchmaking here. But uh, Kyle Nelson defeats Fernando Padilla via unanimous decision, 229-28 to 30-27. I didn't agree with 30-27 here. I thought Padilla had the first. But Nelson slowed the pace down, started landing better shots, and took rounds two and three. So good for him. On the prelims, uh, Lupita Godinez defeated Elise Reed via rear naked choke, 337 to the second. Godinez beat the breaks off a of read this was the, this like you get universal first round 10-8 for godinez arguably 10-7 old sal d'amato there um no no only a 10-9 piss off um one-way traffic the whole way through godinez just monster stomped her um speaking of monsters Middleweights, Roman Kopilov defeats Josh Fremd via TKO body punch, 444 of the second. Um, Fremd had some moments in the first. I think I still thought Kopilov won the first round. Um, but Kopilov's one of those guys who takes a little bit to get going. But once he gets going, buddy, are you in trouble. Um, I thought he won the first. He actually hurt... Frem, towards the end of it, busted his nose pretty visibly. And <laughs> just a really good southpaw attack. Good about, you know, uh, touching the legs. Pretty good left hand. Good left kick. He was landing some nasty body kicks. Landed a couple of head kicks. Frem just wouldn't go down. Diligent body work. And that's what ultimately would put him down. Frem kind of lands a jab. Kopilov waits half a beat, so the jab retracts, and then Fremd starts stepping, and then he steps in, crushing left to the liver. He'd already hurt him with the, uh, the body kick to the liver at least once. Um, Kop- again, Kopilov had a tough start to his UFC career, dropped his first two fights. Um, one of those was a tough outing. I, like, I think his debut was just a tough draw. His debut was Carl Robertson, who's... At the time, was pretty good, and then he had the tough loss to Albert Duraev, who was able to... He had success against Duraev, but Duraev was able to out-wrestle him, ultimately. Dude has looked... He all finishes since. Four in a row. He's looking good. How old is he? Only 32? Yeah, he's... He's actually looking real good at the moment. So... Uh, yeah, watch it. Dude, people don't want to fight that guy, and I get it. But he deserves ranked opposition next. He's at the tail end of middleweight. Um, yeah, give him, you know, Paul Craig or Andre Muniz or something. I know Craig's got a fight coming up, but and we're waiting for a few other things to shake out, but... Dude, four in a row is hard. Four in a row all finishes. He's due a step. He's due a step up. Uh, there's a lot of people who are not going to want to sign to fight that guy. 
Um, Edgar, we had an interesting one here. Edgar Scheider, as in Daniel Lacerda, stopped um, prematurely by the referee, 347 of the first. Um, yeah, the ref got this wrong. So, they're having a pretty good fight. Chavez is generally winning. Then Lacerda goes for a takedown. Chavez blocks, grabs kind of an anaconda. I'm going to stress kind of. But Lacerda gets to his feet very quickly, and Chavez is still holding the position. But he doesn't really have the grip all the way through like you would like with an anaconda. And... It's more like that, like, seated arm triangle choke, where it's, cl- it's closer to that, is what I should say, than to an anaconda, but they're not on the ground. The referee goes to check on uh, Lacerda, and I get that Lacerda's trying to relax. So the ref checks his arm, Lacerda like, no, no, I'm good, and then Lacerda's arm just kind of drops. He's just relaxing. Okay, I, I get this. The referee should have checked his arm again. Really should have. This was a this was a blown call by the ref. It was Chris Tognoni, who's normally a pretty good ref. He blew this one. Referee sees the arm drop, waves off the fight, and look, they get it right on replay. Like the referee and the commission officials, they put their heads together. Here's what I would like to see for this in the future. If you get this kind of a situation where the not where you disagree with the referee's stoppage. Like, not a TKO thing where, like, no, I was still there. Like, no. If the referee calls you unconscious in a choke when you are demonstrably not, I'd rather we have... I'd rather what we do is put the guys in their corners or in neutral corners. So it, do the no coaching thing. Like, nope, you go there, you go there. Talk with the refs, like, did we blow it? Did he actually go out and just came back to you very quickly? Like, figure that out. If you decide you're in the wrong, come back in, ask both guys if they want to keep going. Like, There should be a mechanism for restarting a fight under conditions like this. That's all I'd like to see. Look, the no contest here sucks for both guys, but it was, dude, the ref just got it wrong. It happens. Uh, women's flyweight Tracy Cortez defeated Jasmine Jazdavisius via unanimous decision, 230-27s and a 29-28. Decent enough uh, performance out of Cortez. A lot of boxing. She struggled a little bit down the stretch as Jazdavisius would not stop walking her down. But, you know, she got a win. Oh, she's one of the other people at flyweight that I think is, like, worthy of paying attention to. Like, again, flyweight's kind of turned itself around. It was a dumpster fire for a while, and it's not anymore. Uh, lightweight, Charlie Campbell defeated Alex Reyes via TKO punches, 338 of the first. Um, give Reyes credit just for getting back to the UFC. This guy was six years between fights. I talked about th- I talked about that last week. Had a series of injuries and illnesses. Like He had a spinal infection at one point that he lost the ability to walk. Getting back here at all is a giant win. Um, Campbell just kind of ran him over, though. And kicking everything off, again, Josephine uh, Knudsen defeated Marnik Mann via name's decision. 30-27, bad card. 30-25, acceptable card. 30-24, acceptable. 30-24, for those of you who don't know, that's 10-8 all three rounds. The first, which is what I had. The first round, marginal. 
two and three, yeah. That judge who didn't give her a single 10-8, I don't know what you're smoking, dude. Was that Sal? I need to look this up, actually. I want to... I would like to be sure about this one. No, D'Amato was 30-25. Um, it was Derek Miner? Brian Miner, who's only 30-27. Bad card. There's, like, there's 10-7 discussions to be had. Um, in some of these, in some of those rounds, man, like that, bad call there. Bad call. Uh, and that was the card. Yeah, uh, Knudsen just, again, manhandled her, got her down, beat the crap out of her, just, man shouldn't be in the UFC. She's not ready for this. I mentioned already, no fight of the night, shame for Grasso and Shevchenko, which I think would have gotten it, should have gotten it. So instead, performances went to Raul Rosas, Daniel Zellhuber, Lupita Godinez, Roman Kopilov, and again, you got to finish, you got a bonus on this card. And that's the card. Um, again, not the best card in the world, but I've seen worse. I've seen worse. There was some fun stuff there, there was some weirdness, and it just capped off by... Unfortunately, one of the worst scorecards I've ever seen. Um, I mean, one of the worst scorecards in MMA. I think, actually, I might have seen some worse ones in boxing. Um, I've seen some bad ones in boxing, man. Especially recently. What was that one not too long ago that was like 11 rounds to one that was just total crap? I forget which fight it was, but one of them just ugh, terrible. So anyway, but if you want my full report, MMAZona411mania.com. Go stop by, say hello, I appreciate it. All right. That's that card. Let's move it on down the road. UFC on ESPN Plus 86 this coming Saturday, September 23rd. UFC is back in the apex. Boo. Sorry. Um, And we've got, you know what? we got a pretty good card here, actually. Your main event. I like this fight a lot. Rafael Fiziev and Mateusz Gamrot. Really like this fight. Gamrot, aggressive, strong grappler. Strong wrestler, good overall grappler. Got a motor. I mean, dude, part of the reason he beat Armin Saryukin was just kind of outlasting him down the stretch. Fiziev, incredibly fast hands, dynamic striker, powerful. Pretty good counter-wrestling. Might have faded a time or two if he's forced to fight outside of his comfort zone. Love the fight. Love that fight. It's good. Lightweight remains, again, one of the premier divisions in the sport. We've seen Fazeev counter-grapple a little bit. I don't think we've seen him do it over five rounds, right? Well, maybe we have. He fought RDA. And stopped that in the fifth. Coming off that loss to Justin Gagey. That was a war. I love that fight. That was such a good fight. Um, and whereas, what's Gamrot done recently? He had that loss. He won the loss to Daryush, right? He can't, um, okay, he beat Jalen Turner after that. That was a tough fight. I, I agree that he won, but that was a tough fight. Ooh. Both these guys are very good. Dude, Gamrot's only lost to Guram Kuta Deladze and then Benil Daryush. 
Fazeev is the favorite. And I think that's the way I'm going to lean here. I'm not going to be shocked either way, but I think I've seen Fazeev deal with some of Gam- the pressure that guys like Gamrot bring. Or Gamrot brings, I've seen him deal with, with other from other guys. The striking's going to be a bit of a problem, I think, for Gamrot. It's not that he's bad there, but he's a touch slower and his defense isn't quite as tight. And I think that, again, I just think that's going to be a problem. But really good fight. Looking forward to that one. Co-main event. Another good fight. We got Bryce Mitchell and Dan Ige. Now, Mitchell is coming off of that loss to Ilya Teporia. He'd been out for a while. It was December of last year. Um, he had a he had some kind of a back injury, right? Yeah. Um, he was supposed to fight John, first Jonathan Pierce. Then he was supposed to fight Movsar Evloyev. Then, again, he just had that. So he seems to have... Uh, hopefully he got his back sorted out. Um, he struggled with Teporia once he couldn't get him down. The ruggedness of Teporia and the power punching gave him problems. Ige might do something similar. Um, Ige's pretty durable. He's had his ups and downs, I mean, but his only his losses in the UFC... Lost his debut to Julio Arce, then went on a good winning streak. You could argue that Barboza fight should have gone to Barboza. Calvin Cater beat him. Chan Sung Jung beat him in 2021. Dude, he outlanded Jung, but he couldn't deal with Jung's power. Josh Emmett beat him, and the Mozart of Loyev beat him. He's won his last two, though. At different points in their careers, I would have gone Mitchell. Here's the thing about this for me. I don't know how Mitchell's going to respond to that loss. I don't know what the back injury might have done to him. I think Ige's shown a propensity for some things that have given Mitchell problems. Mitchell's grappling is very good. And I'm not going to be shocked if he wins. I am going to lean towards Ige. I think his jab's going to be a problem. I... I've just not seen Mitchell deal all that well with the kind of adversity that even in losses Dan Ige has put on people. So, But another good fight. Uh, next up, Marina Rodriguez and Michelle Watterson Gomez. Um, dude, Michelle Watterson is 1-5 and five in her last six. Now, I thought she beat Carla Esparza. I also agree that she beat Ant- but her last three losses have been... How did I feel? I don't remember how I scored the Luana Pinero fight. Um, let me have a look at her real fast. And Rodriguez has had a few ups and downs. Um, she's coming off of two losses. Amanda Lemo, she had a good winning streak going. Like I actually thought she beat Carla Esparza. Um, then, you know, she goes on this winning streak of four in a row before getting stopped by Amanda Lemos. Loses to Virna Janjiroba. She needs to bounce back here. Um, if she can't beat Watterson, that's not a great indicator. She does things that have given Watterson plenty of problems in the past. I am going to lean towards Rodriguez, but... Uh, that's a 
bit tougher than you might think. I mean, she's... Actually... Do I think Watterson's just going to out-wrestle her? That's the question. Because she might. Watterson's actually a decent wrestler. I'm still going to go with Rodriguez. I don't think I'm at a point where I'm going to pick Watterson anymore. But there is a there is a path to victory for Michelle Watterson here that should not be ignored. All right, next up, we've got Brian Battle and A.J. Fletcher. Both gentlemen have fought in the UFC. Battle, he had the loss to Renat Fakhrandinov. Um, but I think he bounced back from that, right? Yeah, he missed weight, but he beat Gabe Green. And Fletcher. 10-2. and two. He's 0-2 in the UFC? 1-2. and two. Yeah, he beat... Uh, okay, so he lost. Tough fight with Semmelsberger. Tough fight with Angelosa. Beat Tambo Garimbo. Not a bad... There's some potential here for this to be an entertaining fight. I feel okay picking... I feel okay picking battle. Um, another good fight here, actually. Ricardo Hamosh and Charles Jordan. Um, Hamosh... Beat Danny Chavez. That was a while ago, though. That was over a year ago. 16 months. What's he been doing? All right. He was supposed to fight Austin Lingo earlier this year and then weighed 154 for a frickin' featherweight fight. Dude, you weighed in at an acceptable lightweight limit. My guy. It's <laughs> just terrible. Um, he was supposed to fight Danny Henry in late 2022. Um, Henry pulled out of that one. Um, Habosh is kind of fun. A little bit of a wild man. Not afraid of the fight. Jordan is... Likes things a bit more technical. Coming off of that weird... I say weird win over Crone Gracie. Like, Gracie just tried to pull guard and then butt scooted and it was embarrassing. Lost to Shane Burgos and Nathaniel Wood before that. The layoff for Hamosh is kind of a is a little bit of a problem for me in terms of picking him. Not sure he's the kind of cage cutter you need to necessarily corral Jordan either. Yeah. Let me have a look here at the odds. Yeah, assuming they've been posted for this one. Let's have a look. Yeah, according to the odds, um, Jordan is a favorite. It's fairly close, but... Yeah, that layoff, man. And that that weight missed by that much. I don't know what happened, clearly, but... I'm, I can see how Hamosh wins this fight. I really can, but... What do I think is more likely, I actually do think I'm going to lean towards uh, Jordan there. On the prelims, we have Miles Johns and Dan Argueta. Johns has uh, been a little up and down in the UFC. Coming off a win over Vince Morales. Um, Argueta. Have a look here. 
nine and one. He's what? Um, one and one in the one and one in the UFC. Also has a no contest. Yeah, his fight with Ronnie Lawrence. Um, again, bad stoppage, so they ruled it a no contest, which I think was fair, all things considered. Hmm, tough one there. I think I'm actually leaning. I'm actually leaning towards Argueta, personally. Um, yeah, he's shown that he's actually pretty good, and I don't mean that Johns is bad, but... Because I don't think Miles Johns is a bad fighter, but he struggled to... He struggled a little bit with the wrestlers. He struggled down the stretch. Like his cardio's been a bit of an issue at times, even in fights he's won. Yeah, I'll go with our way to there. Um, welterweight Tim Means and Andre Fialho. This is action fight written all over it. So there's that. Um, something happened to that fight? And it's no, it's still listed there. Hmm. Sorry, it was not listed on one of them. Doesn't matter. Um, here's the thing about Fialho. Three-fight three losing streak. Jake Matthews, Muslim Salikov, Joaquin Buckley. He's shown a fair amount of ability. Even in losses, he's a pretty darn good fighter. Uh, but... <laughs> he's got power. Fairly technical. Just gets a little bit out over his skis, and he fades a little bit down the stretch. And Tim Means, if nothing else, he will be there the whole fight. He's on a three-fight losing streak as well. Losses to Kevin Holland, Max Griffin, and Alex Morono. Means is 39. Fialho is only 20. Dude, 10 years younger. All right, I'm going with Fialho. That, that age gap is big. That's a pretty big predictor. It's not always right, but it's... The odds on the the odds on that one are actually... Uh, uh, again, the younger fighter, especially when he gets like 10 years. The odds on the younger fighter tend to be better. I'll go with Fialho there. But, again, action fight written all over that. Not going to be shocked one iota if means perseveres through a tough first round and just kind of wears him down. Uh, middleweight, Jacob Malkoon and Cody Brundage. Uh, Malkoon. 7-2. and 3-2 two. Two in the UFC. Had a pretty decent win over Nick Maximov last time. That was almost a year ago, though. Um, Brundage. 8-5. Just 2-4 and four in the UFC. Losses to Michael Luxeja, Cardolfo Vieira, Seducus Dumas. I'm okay going with Malkoon here. I think Malkoon probably just out-wrestles him. Heavyweights. Oh, why? So, Jake Collier and Mohamed Usman. Yeah, I don't know what you want me to say about this one. It's embarrassing. Um... Usman is what? 0-2 in the UFC? Excuse me, 2-0 in the UFC? Yeah. 
So wins over Zach Paunga and Justin Taffa. Or Junior Taffa, excuse me. Collier's the more seasoned fighter. He's also on a 3 fight losing streak. Yeah, they're they're still trying to be nice to Usman. Let's go with Usman there. Uh, let's see, Mizuki, uh, Mizuki Inoue and Hannah Goldie. Let's see, Inoue, one and one in the UFC. Beat Wu Yanan. Decent little fight there. Lost to Amanda Lemos. Turns out not a lot of shame in that one. You know, Lemos went on to fight for the belt. Dude, that was three years ago. What happened to her? She had she had an ACL injury, okay, in 2020. Um, I guess that just took a long a long time to heal. Or I might have had ancillary injuries. I don't know. That the layoff there is a big factor here. Um, Goldie just one in three in the UFC. Um, losses to Miranda Granger, Diana Belbicha, and Molly McCann. I don't know, man. That layoff. That's a pretty big layoff to have to overcome. I think she can do it. And Goldie has just not looked... She hasn't even looked all that good in her UFC fights. Yeah. Uh, in a way, looked okay in her couple of UFC... I don't know. That's tough. That's a tough one. Yeah, I'm going to lean... I'm, I'm, I'm okay leaning towards in a way, but... Only because, like... Goldie, another one of those fighters who just shouldn't have been in the UFC when she was. And kicking everything off, we have Montserrat Rendon and Tamiris Vidal. So, uh, Montserrat Rendon is 5-0, and making her UFC debut. Let's see, so, yeah, I'm always leery of someone coming in that low, and Vidal... Seven and one. She has losses in the UFC, I believe. No, one. She beat Ramona Pasquale in her UFC debut. Okay. I need a quick look at something on these two. Five, six, and 68 versus... Five, eight, and 68. I'm actually kind of leaning towards Rendon here. Nothing against Vidal, but it feels like they... Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'll lean towards Rendon. Uh, yeah. But, again, someone getting into the UFC that junior in their career, I'm, I'm always leery of that. And, yeah, that is the card. So, Saturday. It, that card's going to start a little weak. The first, like, three, four fights, yeah, there's not a lot there. After that, we got some good stuff on tap. So, Saturday night, 
come by, say hello. Always appreciate it. All right, what do we got for news of the week? Um, okay, let's start with the big one here. So TKO officially exists. This is the entity that Endeavor has created. Um, the merger, basically, of the UFC and WWE. They're, again, they're a thing. They're on the New York Stock Exchange. They are, va their stock trade's a little over 100 bucks a share. Their current valuation, I think, was 20-something, 20 $21 billion. So that's a thing. Um... <sighs> There's a few things related to this I think we need to discuss. So one of them is the sort of general corporate structure. Um, does technically give Vince McMahon veto power? Like, there's the board of directors, and I think, and technically Vince, uh, I'm trying to remember how this broke down. I want to say there's 11 seats on the board. And WWE personnel held... Uh, four or five, and then the like, WME people had the other ha had technically a majority there. Um, but in the general structure, like Vince is below Artie Emanuel, and I think maybe one other person, but then he's technically over both UFC and WWE, which are still run by Dana White and Nick Khan, respectively, on a you know, managerial level. So, technically, Vince has veto power over UFC-related stuff. Now, I don't expect there to be much of that. Um, probably, there should be less, because, hey, guys, as a minor side note here, you are aware that Vince McMahon has never successfully promoted something other than professional wrestling, right? And he's tried. Boy, has he tried, mostly failed. There's an argument to be had about the XFL and how the NFL like violated a bunch of antitrust stuff before becoming a protected monopoly. <laughs> and I think that's, there's some legitimate arguments to be had around that, but like, most of what he's tried to do that isn't WWE has kind of fallen flat on its face. Um, so <laughs> I don't know that we really want his hand in anything the UFC does. We'll find out very quickly if they... I don't expect they'll be involved in, like, the production level, but if they start referring to, you know, title opportunities and whatever other Vince-isms. Don't like calling it a belt. It's a belt. It's a physical belt. Um, that'll be profoundly annoying. I hate it in WWE when I have to cover it. I, I can't tell you how much I would loathe that if it creeped, crept into the MMA space. So there's that. Again, I don't expect a whole lot to come of it. I don't even expect Vince to be there in two years. I kind of think they'll vote him out, but we'll wait and see. Um, other, I don't know. So we get a little bit of like the, again, the BS sales talk you get out of people selling stock. So I think it was, um, I think it was Lawrence Epstein. It was Epstein or it was uh, Shapiro who was saying, you know, what we want to do is turn every UFC fan into into a WWE fan and every WWE fan into UFC fan. Uh, Dana did the kind of stupidly smug, yeah, that's never going to happen thing. Okay. Here's the thing about this. Do I ever think they're going to get to that point? No. No, I don't. 
Is there crossover? Yes. Look, there's market research on this. I, I hinted at this earlier. Let me, let me, again, there's data, actual data on this. MMA fans don't watch other sports. They don't watch much boxing. They don't watch basketball. They don't watch football. They don't watch soccer. They don't watch hockey. They don't watch base. Like, they don't watch stick and ball sports. They do watch pro wrestling. Not all of them, but if there's another sport-adjacent thing they watch that isn't MMA, it is pro wrestling. Now, some of that data could use could stand to be updated. It's a little, it's a few years old, but that's the data that is available. That's the crossover. That that's the only crossover for MMA fans. Like that's it. Pro MMA has more in common with pro wrestling than it does any other combat sport. A lot of MMA fans hate to hear that. It's the truth. The history of professional wrestling spins out of catch wrestling exhibitions. That's also the genesis of MMA. Because catch wrestling kind of comes out of pancreation if you want to go way back machine. Then there's like the great divide between MMA and pro wrestling happens when certain wrestlers decided wrestling is hard and this is easier if we work together instead of against each other. Some I think this is where like a lot of the catch purists kind of break off from pro wrestling, but that's kind of the genesis. And MMA's presentation is more like pro wrestling than it is boxing. Some of the first MMA organizations, I mean, again, early UFC, Pancrase. I mean, the original Pancrase actually predates the UFC. And the history of Japanese MMA is interesting because you have... I'm not saying Pancrase had no worked fights. There's other elements of Japanese MMA, early rings. Um, Shudo, sort of. What was the other one? Uh, I forget. That, because Pancrase had a couple of work matches that looked like they were worked. Or, more often what you would get out of this, believe it or not, instead of the full match being a work... It's kind of like, okay, we're going to fight for two to three minutes. Okay, hold on. Let's work for the next three. And then the last three will be a shoot again. You actually got a bit more of that. Um, so it's it's weird, man. It, it's it's just weird. But Pancras sprang up out of, again, a bunch of catch wrestling guys. Uh, you know, Minoru Suzuki... Um, Kanahara, I want to say. Um, hang on, let me get this right, because I don't want to be killed for this one. Yeah, sorry, not, um, it was Masakatsu Funaki, Minoru Suzuki, Takaku Fuke. Um, yeah, it. you had a bunch of legitimate catch guys who came up with how we could... I mean, the, the, the whole premise of early Pancrase is, okay, pro wrestling... Rules, that's why there's no punches to the face, among other things. And rope breaks and whatnot, but 
legit. And it was what it was at the time. And, and that's kind of the his so the, and that's some of the history of this. It, it's it's more entwined with pro wrestling than legitimate sport. Because I respect the heck out of pro wrestling, not a legitimate sport. They'll tell you that they just don't want to be dismissed because it's a work and a show instead of a shoot. Fair enough. I have no problem giving them that respect. I enjoy pro wrestling from time to time. Like I'm not I'm not demeaning it. Um, but here's the problem with trying to get to a point where you're going to have that much overlap. There's, there's a couple of problems with that. At the time when there was more overlap, the WWE product was different. It's not quite Attitude Era stuff, but it's very much ruthless aggression. Um... You know, that mid-2000s to, like, early 2010s, like that area. Um, and that era of WWE professional wrestling actually did have a lot of overlap with what the UFC was doing at the time. That's not the current WWE product, and... What I'm about to say might come across as derisive. I don't care for this direction, but that doesn't mean it's not legitimate. They went PG because the advertisement was better and their audience had aged out. And nowadays, dude, you can go to WWE events. You can watch them. Like, they're... Because professional wrestling is a vast and varied landscape... You can do a lot in the genre. WWE at the moment is basically the MCU. If I I can draw that comparison. It's homogenized. It's the same thing. It's the same faces. And it's for kids. That doesn't mean it's stupid. That doesn't mean it's dumb. Again, that doesn't mean that it's, you know, again, stupid. Because just because something is aimed at children doesn't mean it's bad or infantile or, again, or stupid. You can have very good stuff there, and the WWE occasionally produces good stuff. But their audience is children. The UFC's audience is not children. So there's a core of the professional wrestling fan base that might enjoy MMA. I don't know that that portion of the professional wrestling fan base is all that high on the WWE at the moment, is maybe more the issue. And to say nothing of how this might play when we get sued again. I mean, look, the UFC, the WWE as part of this had to like list their competitors, and you know, this is part of like what you have to do when you file this kind of business merger and whatnot. Like, who are your competitors in the space? What are you worried about? And they listed, like, AEW, New Japan, and I think Impact. Which is comical! Like, you have two basic monopolies here joining together for a super monopoly. Now, in fairness, lest I be accused of hating AEW, the... 
the distance between the UFC and their number two competitor, whoever you happen to think that is. Because Bellator is probably getting bought. There's a rumor floated earlier this week that Bellator wasn't going to, that talks with PFL have failed and Bellator was just going to close. I don't think there was any validity to that, but, it, you know, internet stuff. So you can think whether that you think that's PFL or you buy into, you know, the BS that comes out of one championship's PR department. I don't know why you would, but you might. Whatever you think is the is the second biggest deal in the MMA space. The distance between WWE and AEW is unequivocally the number two. The distance between WWE and AEW is not the distance between the UFC and the P and PFL. I'll, I'll say PFL for the sake of argument here. The distance isn't that great, but it's pretty darn. It's still pretty darn big. I know you're out here going, you wrestling guys are going, but you know AEW just had a, the biggest crowd in pro wrestling history at Wembley. Yeah, they did. And WWE got paid. They disclosed this. Wasn't it like $14 million to run in Wales at Clash at the Castle? The, the, again, their Clash at the Castle event. They got paid like $14 million for that. And that, was, that itself was still... They could have run Wembley, and they could have put that many people there. They got a giant site fee to go somewhere else. <laughs> um... I, look, this is not to knock AEW. I got my issues with some of their product, but I'm happy they exist to the ex- to the extent that like pro wrestling needs a healthier ecosystem. MMA needs a healthier ecosystem. Pro wrestling had this problem for quite a while, and and AEW kinda has made a few waves in the marketplace. They're still they're doing their own thing. And that's maybe the best way they can go about this, because they aren't really in a position to compete head-to-head all that unequal footing with, you know, the WWE's machinery. And that's fine. Again, I don't begrudge AEW existing. I'm glad they do. Fine. But they're still a relatively distant number two in the grand economic scene of professional wrestling. The, pro- the disparity here could also be summed up as this is true for the UFC. For every dollar generated by the sport of mixed martial arts a year, 90 cents of that goes to the UFC. That Dude, Bellator is partially being sold because they don't make money. They... That, that's just the reality of trying to exist in the MMA space at the moment. The UFC has corrupted the market to the point where there is no competition. They've admitted as much. They don't care that the Saudis are throwing money at the PFL because the money that can be thrown at that, no matter almost no matter how much it is, isn't going to deal with their restrictive contracts and their market share. On the professional wrestling side of things, I kind of doubt that 90 cents of every dollar generated by professional wrestling in any given year goes to WWE. That being said, it's probably still north of 50 cents for every dollar. They are still the majority 
earner and generator in the pro wrestling space. And you have to think about this on a few different levels. They have two major television programs that take up five hours of airtime on major networks every week. They also have the NXT show, if you care about that. They're a pretty good driver of content to Peacock, to the extent that you want to consider Peacock a real thing. They move more merchandise than anyone else. I'm unequivocally. They sell mountains of merchandise. They sell tickets regularly. They tour the globe. They're, I mean, they were in India last week. Two weeks ago at this point? One of the two. Like, they are the dominant market force worldwide. Doesn't mean there aren't other players. New Japan can still have big shows. AEW's again chugging along. Impact is a joke. And <laughs> has been for a long time. But, you know, again, you, you want to break really break this down. Does WWE earn a majority of every dollar generated by professional wrestling year over year? I Yeah, I'll buy that. If it's not a majority, it's a definitive largest plurality. Uh, they are again. They are definitively the single largest ent- uh, single largest entity in that space. And you've got two of those now. So the problem with trying to get this crossover again: one, you got one product that's aimed at the moment primarily at children, and one that definitively is not. The entire. Uh, I understand why there's crossover, but the fundamental appeal at this point has drifted apart. And look, part of the reason pro rest, uh, a good chunk of MMA fans resent association with pro wrestling is they've still got the chip on their shoulder about the sport not being viewed as legitimate and they resent being in, being associated with CrossFit drama nerds, for the most demeaning expression I could think of. Professional wrestling fans don't actually care about legitimacy. They want fantasy, and they hate the reality of MMA. And this is because reality, you know, is not always interesting and can be boring and... Uh, look, this is it's just kind of the the differences at this point, and that does again that doesn't mean there's no crossover. But did here's the other thing about this man. Did I hate phrasing it this way, so please don't kill me. A giant chunk of the UFC's audience, certainly the uh, a vocal contingent, does lean to the political right in the United States, and. If you're about to say, but didn't Linda McMahon, you know, work for Trump or whatnot, this is not about the brass at WWE. It's about the fan base. I don't think the WWE's fan base leans the same political direction that MMA fans do. And that's not, look, they've also, WWE in particular, has a large enough fan base that it's not actually going to divide down the political line. You're actually going to have different people, different points of view, because you get a large enough fan base, it does split closer to 
But, yeah, they're... Guess the other thing about this... Can we just be honest about... Another thing I'm going to have to just be honest about. The communities, for want of a better word, especially online, are not welcoming. Which is weird, but they're not. Wrestling fans have their guard up until they're sure you're not there to make fun of them. MMA fans have lost their patience with people who don't understand at least the base intricacies of how fighting actually works. And that breeds, again, that just kind of breeds clashing. So, I don't know. Look, they also did tip their hand about what they really want. What they want are giant site fees to bring big weekends. And they could do this. It's not at all impossible for a major city or a state's chamber of commerce to throw enough money at this organization to get them to bring a SmackDown on Friday, a UFC event Saturday, and a WWE pay-per-view Sunday. That That's a trio of events that could happen, and they could get paid a lot for it, because, look, man, that does generate revenue. WWE coming, the circus coming to town brings in revenue. So, I imagine that's a bit more the actual game plan is, again, extorting taxpayers for <laughs> site fees. Uh... Um, last thing I want to say... I need to finish this. Last thing I want to say about this. Um, so, again, one of them... I, I, I want to say this was Shapiro and the other one was Epstein. Um, was deflecting criticism, talk about fighter pay by saying, no, no, fighter pay's risen a lot. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's actually outpacing revenue, which is not true. And you wonder how I know it's not true. How I know he's lying through his teeth. The same day, the the law there was a motion filed in the ongoing lawsuit where the attorneys for again, WME Zufa whatever where where the play, the respondent the defendant's attorneys again the UFCs basically admitted that the opposite was true and they're just again they're they're filing a motion to get a res, to compel the other side to respond and illegal. Eh, crap doesn't really matter the weeds of that are are immaterial to the discussion but either one of these guys is lying trying to sell something or the lawyers are lying in federal court i know which one i think is more true just throwing it out there but yeah tko now a thing god help us all um i don't even know what the like, I know what the high-end, like, corporate benefits of this are. I don't know how much anyone's going to enjoy this crossover. Like, to the extent there's going to be crossover. These really... I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm very wrong. I might be. I just... I don't know. Most professional wrestlers who show up at MMA events don't get pops. The Rockwood... Ray did. I forget which UFC event it was. There was one where they were leaning a little bit into... It might have been... might have been the fight with, um... 
it was headlined by one of the Mexican, like earlier this year during the kind of Mexican champion bit, period of time. Rey Mysterio was at a UFC event and actually got the biggest pop of the night from the people that showed in the crowd. A lot of Mexican fans there. They knew who Rey was. Um, but as a general rule, like they've showed other wrestlers at events and nothing. The only thing I'd like UFC to take from WWE, can we let fighters have personalities, please, when they walk out? That's really all I want. That's all I want that's reasonably attainable. Like, they all just get their song and then walk or jog to the ring. Like, it's just... There's nothing there, you know? There's no... We could use a little more pomp and cer- a little more presentation here. Just a little bit. Uh, all right. Um, last thing. Yeah, I'll be brief with this. So we can be quick. So Dana White got asked about, again, the Contender Series thing. He was asked about, um, you know, are you actually going forward with plans for the immediate rematch between Strickland and Adesanya? And he said, no. That's a bunch of stupid MMA sites spinning up nonsense. We're not sure what we're doing, and I had to put my head on my desk. (sighs) My man, you said it. You were quoted. Not only were you quoted, all half of these people did was embed the video where you said it. Look, I've had my issues with the MMA media, okay? I really have. And I'm technically part of it. And I've still got issues with it. Dana lashing out at them is almost a joke at this point. He does it because who cares? I mean this. Like, he could say the most vile, heinous things at MMA media, and there is zero repercussion for it. This is a consequence-free zone making fun of MMA media. Consequence free. Not a darn thing he could say that would engender, that would call down any sort of repercussions. I mean, this guy had a public fight with his wife, a public physical fight with his wife, and nothing happened. There's almost, short of a genuine racial slur, he's not going to get, there's nothing he can say that would have any that would come back on him in any way. In any way. But he's not happy that he said something he regretted. And then rather than say, yeah, you know, got a little bit ahead of ourselves on the night of. I, you know, I know we don't do this. Yeah, no, no, just y'all misquoted me. Screw you. When all most of us did was, hey, here's a video link. Dude, he's so checked out. He is so checked out of all of this. I I don't know who's going to replace him, but I'm getting to the point where I am looking forward to his retirement. I'm getting there. All right. Uh, that's all the news I had written down. So let's see if anything crazy has broken on Twitter. If not, we will do plugs and then get out of here. All right. Well, nothing crazy in the MMA space, but, you know, it's the Internet, so there's always something crazy. Uh, all right. What do we got tonight? Plugs. 
Not a lot. Uh, the usual spate of professional wrestling and MMA coverage over at 411mania.com. Uh, MLW stuff on Thursday, WWE SmackDown on Friday, UFC event on, uh, on Saturday. Um, no Damn You Hollywood again this week. Next week, though, we're back for the Expendables 4. So we, again, we took basically September off because it sucked. September strikes again. Um, if you're interested in a couple of other things going on over in the W2M network, there's a triple there's a triple feature for um, three Guy Ritchie movies. Two of them came out this year: Operation Fortune, Rouge de Guerre, The Covenant, and the third one they included in that. Um, uh, Snatch. So that's Mark and Ronnie Adams. Uh, then Tuesday, there will be an on trial for White Men Can't Jump. They're debating the original versus the remake. Mark and Jason Teasley, that is not a contest. The original is a classic of the genre. The remake should be deep fried in lava and the remains launched into outer space. And then again, we're back here next Sunday evening to record for... UFC and ESPN plus 86, and we will be previewing. We'll be previewing. No. Um, Saturday, the next Saturday will be the 30th. There is no UFC event. There is one. So just a review next week. A uh, week after, we will preview a fight night. The one headlined by Grant Dawson and Bobby Green. Let me have a look at that real fast. Um, look, when Dawson and Green is your main event, everything else has to be worse. Boy, that is a lot of lower mid-tier fighters. Good grief. We might get some decent fights out of it, but good grief. Not a lot to be excited about there on paper. So, two weeks, we'll do that. Next week, just a review and the news. All right, thank you very, very much as always, everybody. I appreciate the heck out of you. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.